to you, and it is down to me. Are you f***ing kidding me? I've lied to you a lot. I feel like the times I've lied to you, it's been pretty obvious. Well, if he is involved, I'm gonna be pissed, because he didn't tell about it. Before I left for Karina, I had to ask myself, what was I doing? I had spent the last five days going from ghost town to graveyard to theater, following secret messages and directions spelled out in magazine clippings. Tonight, I was finally going to meet the person masterminding this whole program. The day before, I had questions for those closest to me. My friend Paul had been there from the start, so naturally, I was the most suspicious of him. Okay, so I'm here now with Paul Richter, and Paul, you and I have been friends for... Oh, a hundred years. Okay, Ten so... Ten years? Uh, when did we meet? 2000, 2006. Nine years. Almost, per almost ten years. Almost a decade. So, if you were lying to me, the betrayal would be... <laughs> Much worse. I've, I've lied to you a lot. I feel like the times I've lied to you, it's been pretty obvious. You figured it out pretty quickly. I would like to think... I would like to think that about myself. I'd like to think that I'm clever enough to know when you're lying, which I know is my downfall. Hubris. <laughs> so, be honest with me right now. Great. Here we go. Are you Virgil? No. I don't... I have no idea. I can honestly tell you with no hesitation, I have no idea who Virgil is. Okay, let's assume that that's true for a second. Are you involved in this whole thing? No. I'm as involved as you are up to when we went to Clay City. As far as I know is the text messages that you got. Okay, see, because that's a tricky situation for me because only you and Tani knew that we were going out there, so that means that either you are involved or Tani's involved. Well, there you go. You can see how that's suspicious. To be fair to me, though, while we were out there... I asked you when your birthday was because I didn't even remember the day. I thought I'd already missed it. That's true. The, your innocence does hinge on your casual neglect of our friendship. <laughs> I mean, I feel, feel bad. I, I'd like to now be like, no, I, I knew this whole time. So you have no idea who Virgil is? No. Unless it's your dad, because I still think it's probably your dad. You're seeing your dad this weekend. True. So that's still my prediction. And you said yourself, this sounds like something that he would do. Well, you're on record now, so there we go. The problem with Paul's involvement was twofold. One, he had a very solid alibi. Up to now, with the exception of the time we were at Clay City together, he's been working on the release of the feature-length film that he's starring in. In fact, the night I was going to Karina, I was on my way to see the film debut. The other thing is his girlfriend, Jackie. Jackie, unlike Paul, is not an actor. And she had some strong things to say about his involvement. Jackie, are you involved in this? No. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> uh, but what I don't believe is that Paul is uninvolved. Well, if he is involved, I'm going to be pissed because he didn't tell me shit about it. He didn't say anything to you. No, I knew you guys were going to Clay City and that was it. See, that I believe because you would murder him if he was lying to you. Exactly. 
And also, I want to be a part of it, and I'm actually super pissed that somebody didn't think that I would be good at this. That's the thing. Anyone that I would suspect now would have involved you if they had involved Paul. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the forgotten middle child or something. My life, it seemed, was starting to come apart. Our dining room table was covered in secret messages, ransom notes, maps, timelines. It looked like a detective's office, although perhaps a detective that was losing their grip on sanity. I was suspicious and critical of everyone, especially those closest to me. And since Virgil had me running all over town, I hadn't had any time to actually collect any evidence against anyone. Just more and more suspicion piling up outside my mind, like bills from a creditor. That's why, when I rounded the corner and saw the small table with the two wine glasses, my world turned upside down. There, sitting, facing the door, was Paul. So, it is down to you, and it is down to me. Are you f***ing kidding me? Tonight we see whether you will follow your quest to its end, or give up tonight. Um... Okay. Alright. Pour the wine. What ensued was a scene from Princess Bride. Paul had me open a can of wine. Yes, a can and pour it into the two wine glasses in front of us. Then he handed me a flask and said, smell this. I inhaled and smelled nothing and informed him of such. What you do not smell, he said, is called water and it will ruin one of our drinks. With that, he took the two wine glasses and turning his back on me, poured the water supposedly into one of them. When he turned to face me again, he said, I have poured the water into one of our drinks. Now you choose, and we both drink, and find out which of us is right and which is sad. This went on perfectly scripted, Paul refusing to break character, and me not so much worried about the water, but genuinely concerned now that I was sitting in Vecini's seat. For anyone who's seen The Princess Bride, you already know, this wasn't going to end well for me. I chose a glass and we both drank. He looked me dead in the face and said, guessed wrong, and then placed a giant candy bowl on the table with a singular Sour Patch Kid inside. As your punishment, he continued, you must now wait here. You can eat this one Sour Patch Kid or, when I return, you can have an entire bag of Sour Patch Kids. I waited for 10 minutes until they finally kicked me out of Karina because they were closing. I went next door and took my seat in the theater. Jackie and Tawny had come to the film with me, and both of them were curious what had happened in there. Paul is involved, I told them. Jackie looked like she might burst a vein. 
Tawny seemed less than shocked. I showed them the candy bowl, and as Paul entered the theater, I had to finally ask him, Is this all you? Paul informed me at that point that he had no idea what was going on. He had received an anonymous package telling him to be at Karina and to follow the script as it was sent to him. Tawny's the one who noticed the note on the bottom of the candy bowl. It read, Text Vicini for your next task. His number is... Then silence your phone. You're at the movies. Paul and Jackie seemed just as curious as I did about the whole thing. None of us knew what was going on at this point. Paul came up and said that he could finally relax because his role in this whole thing was done. And now he just wanted to solve the mystery as much as I did. But here's the problem. Now I really couldn't trust anyone. After the film, I sent a text message to the new number. For now, I give you nothing. Included with the text was a picture of number 30, E.E. E. Cummings' poem, What Got Him Was Nothing. Again, it seems even this new number knew me very well. E.E. E. Cummings is by far my favorite poet. The poem goes something like this. What got him was nothing. And nothing's exactly what anyone living, or somebody dead, like even a poet, could hardly express. What I mean is, what knocked him over wasn't, for instance, the knowing your whole, yes, goddamned life is a flop, or even to feel how everything dreamed and hoped for and prayed for for months and weeks and days and years and nights and forever is less than nothing which would have been something. What got him was nothing. And then, truly nothing. No response from this new number, Vicini. No response from Virgil. Paul swore now that his involvement was complete. Tawny still said she knew nothing and I began to not trust anybody. Anyone could have been involved. Sometimes I would call the numbers or text them in the middle of the day just to see if I could hear somebody's phone going off. I would call people at work just to make sure that they were there when they said they would be. I would send Facebook messages to old acquaintances text messages to my friends back in New York. Everyone seemed to be exactly where they said they were, and they were always busy when either Virgil or Vicini had been talking to us. After the poem, there was no more contact. Tawny, however, seemed really bummed out. She said that she had felt bad because she hadn't planned anything this elaborate for my birthday. I'd always suspected she was involved, but now, 
I felt bad for not inviting her along sooner. I asked her if she'd like to help me find the next clue. And of course, she seemed elated. Soon after we agreed upon it, there came a knock at the apartment door. When I answered, it was a UPS delivery. I took it inside and opened it. There was a novelty ship's wheel clock inside. As I looked for the tag, the text message arrived. Near the stairs that lead into the abyss, your Zisu hat might come in handy. Jaguar sharks abound. Included with the message was a very detailed latitude and longitude that led to Point Defiance Park. Point Defiance is a massive city park with acres of wilderness, a zoo, and themed sections. All of it tucked at the northernmost end of the city of Tacoma and bordered on three sides by the Puget Sound. The reference to jaguar sharks is about my favorite film, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. As soon as I got the text message, everything inside me felt like I was about to be ambushed. I was told to go down to the latitude and longitude and make my presence known. Tani and I drove down to Point Defiance, and I brought with me my bosun's pipe. Bosun's pipe is a nautical whistle used on the deck of tall ships. You pipe out commands with it. Considering this reference to the sea, yet another thing I loved, it seemed only fitting that I should take something from my nautical history along with me to make my presence known. The whole walk along the beach, I was on edge. I still couldn't shake the feeling that I was about to get jumped. Tawny and I walked along the waterfront together, looking for a staircase down to the ocean. When all of a sudden in front of us, a raven alighted on the path. All through undergrad, I considered the raven my spirit guide. I mentioned to Tawny that the guide had finally arrived. Are you Virgil? I asked the raven, as it eyed me incredulously. I got about as much response from the raven as I ever did from Virgil or Vicini. As it turned and took off, Tawny and I approached the staircase at last. The tide was out, and the stairs led all the way down to a narrow strip of pebbled beach the entire expanse was lined by a series of yawning storm drains, each one darker and longer than the last. As I walked along the beach, I waited for the ambush to come. There was no one around, and so I decided to make my presence known. 
A couple calls on the bosun's pipe, and still nothing. Only Tani and I remained on the beach. I began to look around, and something caught my eye. I drew closer to one of the storm drains, and inside was a bottle with a message inside. I slid the bottle out of the storm drain, uncorked it, and removed the crumpled piece of paper from inside. It said, there's no point defying it. Listen to your animal instincts. Your spirit calls. So this is talking about the zoo. I mean, there's no point defying it. Okay, that's <laughs> but that's so crazy because the raven was just I, on the path. I know. It's weird. But, I don't know, maybe they trained the raven. <laughs> that's... It's, you don't know. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, this is me. I'm a time traveler, and I have... You've set this up for yourself. I've set this all I, up for myself. You know, it's not beyond... The realm of possibility. And that is and that is why all these anonymous packages are showing up, because <laughs> I've mailed them to everyone, uh, and now it's, it's me. Oh, well, we need to get to the zoo. Okay. Tani and I rushed to the zoo and made our way straight for the raven exhibit. We knew exactly where it was. When we arrived, there was a woman in a zoo uniform waiting inside. The Point Defiant Zoo had been preparing for Halloween, and all of the zoo staff were decorating this day. Inside the raven exhibit, the young woman was trying to assemble a giant spider, but every time she tried to plant one of the legs in the gravel at the bottom of the exhibit, the raven would fly over, dig it up, and knock the leg over. Peter, stop, she kept saying. But the raven seemed to be enjoying messing up her work too much. Tawny and I waited patiently on the other side of the glass. Eventually, the young woman started talking to us. She told us all about Peter and her day trying to set up the spider. And as she finished the exhibit, she turned to us and said, Well, have a great day and left. I just stared after her. I must have waited another five minutes before I finally turned to Tawny and told her that I thought we got the clue wrong. We started to walk away, and then Tawny turned on her heel, outstretched her hand, and said, Well, hello. Treachery. Tawny, of course, was in on it too. She told me that she had received an anonymous message telling her to meet me at the zoo today and that when we arrived, I would need to record a time capsule, a message to myself. Turns out I kind of was a time traveler after all. I was still no closer to Virgil's identity. All I knew now is that Virgil had tapped everyone around me to be implicit in the scheme. Virgil had clearly gotten so much information from my friends back in New York 
who knew me during undergrad. They had used Tawny and Paul to get close to me and maneuver me around here in Tacoma. But too many things seemed coincidental. The arrival of the package, the perfect timing of Clay City, the raven on the path, the fact that I had been to the graveyard one week before I got the message telling me to go there. Either Virgil was incredibly lucky or had been watching me for some time. When Tawny and I got home from the zoo, I finally got my answer. The two numbers, one from Virgil and one from Vizzini, started to get into an argument. They were sending conflicting messages, hateful messages about one another, to my phone, as if we were all in the room together. Right at the peak of their argument, both Vicini and Virgil disappeared. No response when I called them. No response when I texted them. Nothing. For hours. And then day went by, and still nothing. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. The number you have dialed has been changed. Somehow, this quest had drawn to a close. Neither Tawny nor Paul could give me any further advice on the topic. They had played their role. And now, both of my guides were gone. My phone sat silent for some time. And I poured back through the clues to see if I had missed something some wrong turn, if I really had chosen the wrong glass of wine all along, or perhaps if nothing was the point of it, and that that might be what got me at the end. On a Saturday night, a week and a half after this quest had begun, I started to turn the lights off in my apartment and get ready for bed. What I had thought would be an amazing birthday quest turned out to be somebody just messing with me. There was no pot of gold at the rainbow. There was no great mastermind. Just some sicko messing with my life. I put my phone on the bedside stand and got ready to put this all behind me. Join us next week for the final episode of 30 Year Quest, in which the identity of Virgil is at long last revealed. This episode has been brought to you with special thanks to Tony Clark and consideration to Kevin McLeod. Links to his music can be found in the description below. As always, I'm Captain Chris Stoddinger, and this is 30 Year Quest with Captain and Clark.